Welcome to the Simply People Podcast with Simply People founder and your host, Danny Clark. Hello and welcome to the Simply People Podcast, the show that brings you the people behind particular subjects, organizations and stories. I'm Danny Clark and today we're talking all things marketing and charity with Rob Illidge, who is the founder of Social Republic. Welcome to the show, Rob. You're here to talk social marketing, your passion for pushing the boundaries and charity work that saw you summit Kilimanjaro during the COVID pandemic last year. Thanks for joining me. Thank so you, normally, No, thank, thank you, Rob. So I normally start these with a general question around what you're up to at the moment. Sure. I think that's the best intro I've ever had, actually. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, very nice. I you like did that. script it for me, so thanks for that. <laughs> um, what am I up to at the moment? Um, very busy. Um, back in, obviously, back in lockdown, for someone who's lived in Manchester, um, I feel like as, a man, as an adopted Mancunian, we, I don't feel like we've been out of lockdown since it first started in, in March last year. There was that little bit when, you know, the pubs reopened and, and schools, but I feel like we've been in this for since March and we've never really come out. So, yeah, very, very busy. Um, we've seen from a social agency point of view, a lot of brands moving their budgets and campaigns over to social media from maybe traditional print or radio or TV. And simply because more people are spending the time on devices um, at home and and that really, it hasn't changed. So yeah, we're seeing a lot more inquiries, a lot more campaigns, which is positive in a, you know, in a COVID era. Yeah. It's interesting you say about the, the the lockdown and and Manchester in particular, because yeah, I, I, I live, just outside of Manchester now. So I'm in Cheshire and I've not been in Manchester myself since February, but obviously I've kept kept track on some of the challenges that the region has had as a whole. Um, I suppose the only time that you've, you have been out of lockdown was was Kilimanjaro. So how did that come about? How did you manage to to leave the UK and enter Africa? So, <laughs> Yeah, and looking back at it now, it seems like it was almost a film-like expedition um it was like almost like getting in and out almost like argo well that's the way i describe it anyway but um we were just very fortunate we were we planned to climb kilimanjaro in june last year and then i'm quite an optimistic person and um and when everything got shut down in march i was saying to the the team of people that we were doing it with oh you know it'll be fine you know it'll be over in a couple of weeks and we'll be able to fly out to to kili and, and we'll do it and as it got closer and closer and closer, I think, and then I didn't admit it, but I think I started to realise it's definitely not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so then literally I was, I just had this feeling that there was going to be a gap where there was going to be an opportunity to get out, A, get out of the country and um, fly into Kilimanjaro and, and Tanzania uh, safely. Um, obviously we had to be tested for, for COVID before we flew out. Um, and I just kept my eye on, flights and uh, kept liaising with the, the Kilimanjaro trekking company, um, Kilimanjaro experts. And I actually ended up doing a, a virtual walk during June. Um, so replicating the steps and, and the distance that I would have covered uh, in June and did it just on the streets of Manchester and, um, and just did it there. And yeah, and then I've just kept in touch with people and a few people dropped out of the actual trip that they should have joined. And it, ended up just being me and one of my friends um, and I said you know are you still up for it let's let's do this so we found a gap in September of last year uh, where we could literally kind of get in the country do the climb and then and then come back out and it was um, 
pretty crazy, um, especially flying during COVID and, you know, having to wear a mask for like 14 hours and then getting to a country where they'd effectively beaten COVID and um, there was still the odd sign of masks at airport, but everywhere else you went, you didn't have to wear a mask and um, it was almost back to normal life. It was, it was great. And then you come back home and I think you, you're back to reality. Yeah, a bit of a bit of a culture shock, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I love um, any any time I've been to Africa. Uh, the people are so friendly, and it was just nice to feel like normal again and um, and not worried about this this virus um, and actually get out. And because obviously so many trips got cancelled, um, there was nobody at the hotels. So me and my friend were the only people at the hotel. Um, every single hotel we stayed at, um, we were the only guest. So we got the pick of the room. So we were fighting over the honeymoon suite, um, <laughs> you know, pouring out our own drinks and um, just get really getting to know the staff. And the same with the, the mountain as well. So there's literally, we saw like one or two couples uh, doing the climb, which is really rare for September. Usually it's like one of the busiest times because of the, the great weather. Um, yeah. So when we actually, you know, summited, um, there was nobody there, which was pretty unbelievable. Amazing pictures, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you get, it's amazing before you do it because you think, oh, I'm going to get to the top. We even looked at setting a Guinness World Record. Um, and I'm glad that never went through because we would have been up there for hours. And you have these visions of going up there and doing all these videos and, um, you know, pieces to camera and photos and everything else. And when you get up there and your guide actually says, you know, you're going to have 15, 20 minutes max and then you're going to want to come down. Um, the views are incredible. And we just tried to get, yeah, literally as much as we could, but we were up there for, yeah, I want to say 20 minutes and then it's it's not nice. <laughs> the views the are great. Yeah, is that, the, is that the altitude then, the, the, the lack of oxygen or cold? Yeah, it's um, it's definitely more of a, a mental challenge. Once you get to the top, you've obviously got the adrenaline pumping, you know, you've you've reached the summit, you've, you've achieved your goal, um, but then you quickly realise that, yeah, you're at altitude, so you're at 20,000 feet, um, you can't breathe as well you're actually really, really cold, even though it's sunny. Um, it's, it was about minus eight when we summited. Um, and then you, you realize your legs are just made of jelly. Um, but yeah, everything just kind of kicks you. And it's, it's definitely a mental challenge um, in terms of from base camp to summit um, of whether you're going to make it or not. Yeah. So how long did that take from base camp to summit? It was, let me think. I think the final climb was around about eight or nine hours um, so you start, yes, it would have been about eight hours. So I think we started at 11 o'clock at night and they wake you up. So you get to base camp, you, you know, you have a similar routine. You, you have a little nap and then you wake up, you eat and then you sleep again. Because uh, with all the will in the world, you want to play football or throw a frisbee. But then when you actually get there, you think, you know, you're just exhausted. Um, so, yeah, they wake you up at like 11 o'clock at night. Um, you're already good to go because you're briefed every evening and on what you have to have ready. And um, it's kind of the last push and you don't have to carry any bags or anything. All the, all the porters take everything. So you're just kind of free to walk or stumble pretty much like I did. Yeah. And then um, it's just relentless. Um, I listened to Johnny Vaughan's podcast, which just kept me kind of amused like all the way up and, um, once I got sick of that, I'd put on music. And then once I got sick of that, you know, put on something else and you're just getting frustrated with yourself. And again, it's just, it's just a mental thing. You've just got to kind of break through that. Yeah. 
So did you learn anything about yourself while you was on the uh, trek to the summit? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I did wonder before I went whether I'd, you know, the cliche of would I find myself when I got there. Um, I think I found that physically I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> um, <laughs> still think I'm I'm 21, especially when you know playing football or boxing or you know climbing mountains. Um, yeah. Definitely physically, yeah. You, you, your mind wants to do all these things, but your body's saying no. Um, I think I found that uh, maybe I was a little bit um, mentally tougher than, than I actually thought I was um, because, you know, like I said, it is that mental challenge. Once you hit a certain point, yeah. um, you've just got to push through and just think I'm going to get to the top. So, yeah, I think I definitely did learn um, that I am stronger mentally and also how hard it is um, not being able to communicate with friends and family. And, you know, my line of work, um, you know, using social media every single day and things like WhatsApp and being able to communicate quite freely uh, to have that taken away is, is actually more difficult than I thought. And apparently I snore a lot more than I, than I, than I was aware of. <laughs> Good job. So you had the honeymoon all. suite then with a the big bed. So you didn't have to listen to it. Well, I was sharing a, um, I was sharing a tent with my friend um, to obviously save resources on the, on the porters. So I was sharing a tent with my friend and after about two or three days, the, the head porter or the head guide, he said to us, you know, would you like us to get you another tent? And we were thinking, where's he going to get another tent from? And they would literally send somebody to walk. I mean, what would take us three days would probably take them about six hours, but um, they were going to bring another tent. And we would, we said, no, no, it's fine. You know, don't do that. Um, we're, we're okay sharing the tent. Um, and me and my friend, Sam, um, we didn't, we're friends three other friends, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so we didn't really know each other that well, but when you share a tent with someone for eight days, um, you really start to get to know someone um, very well. <laughs> Absolutely. And their snoring habits, I guess. Yeah, I didn't realise. I, I knew that I snored a little bit, but um, I just said to him when we got there, I said, if I do snore, just kick me and I'll roll over. But I don't think it worked. No. Just got a leg of bruises, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so... I have to ask, you've climbed Kilimanjaro, but what, what prompted you to climb Kilimanjaro? Um, good question. Um, it's something I've always wanted to do. Um, if there's something out there where it's the biggest or the tallest, you know, I'm always fascinated by it. Um, obviously, I've been lived in America. There's 50 states. I want to visit all those states. I think it's just this constant... Um, need to kind of push myself and challenge myself to do something different um you know if you could go to the moon i would i'd, I'd want to be there you know to, to experience it i want to kind of visit as many countries as i can um so i've always had it in the back of my mind to do it and it's a lot more accessible um than something like say for example everest where you, you do need a lot of training and you need to be kind of a a, a pro at, you know that kind of walking uh, or climbing um and then my dad did it uh, when he was 63 years old. So um, I think that was about seven years ago. My dad um, went and me and my brother have um, a good healthy rivalry. So my dad used to skydive a lot. So my, my brother skydived with my dad and I never really got to do it. I was too busy. I think I was in my late teens. So I was off doing other things or at uni. Um, so I always thought oh, there's something I want to kind of replicate what my, you know, what my dad did. Um, and he had an amazing time and he was probably the oldest and not the fittest out of the, his group. And there was members of his group who didn't make it. 
um, because it really isn't altitude um, sickness in particular can affect anybody. Um, and you could be the fittest person in the world and you wouldn't be able to still summit. Um, so he did it. He came back and, you know, for, for weeks and months, what felt like years, you know, looking through slideshows of his pictures and videos and, uh, setting my dad up with a Facebook account is probably what, one of the worst things I've ever done. But, um, but yeah, I was just fascinated by it. And I I thought, you know, my dad can do it. Um, I could do it. And it was, um, almost like a bit of a bonding thing with my dad. And I was just fascinated that, you know, he'd done it and just seeing all the pictures and, he told me the stories about how nice, you know, the people are and the guides and everything else. And yeah, it, it fascinated me. And I'm happy to say I've finally done it. Yeah. And, and, and obviously um, you mentioned the altitude there. One quick, one, one question then, did you use the, the Diamox, the, the altitude medicine? Yes. Um, yeah. Diamox is a big question. Um, you can, everybody will give you different advice. Um, should you take it? Should you not take it? Should you take it? when you start to get sick um you know we spoke to the uh, the trekking company and they said literally just listen to your guide your guide is an expert he's climbed he or she will have climbed Kilimanjaro hundreds of times they will know and they give you the best advice and it's funny because there was an american guy who joined us and when we met the guide he said you're going to take diamox every single day um regardless he said i'll tell you when to stop taking it and this American guy turned up and he'd been advised by his doctor to take almost what was, I think it, we worked out he would have been overdosing every single day on Diamox. And I think he was potentially taking like four times the, you know, the recommended amount because yeah. a doctor had recommended it. A doctor who'd never climbed Kilimanjaro, never been to high altitude. So you really just have to listen to your guide. So yeah, we, we did. And luckily we were all okay in terms of, um, uh, side effects um, yeah some people can get really sick i mean you've got to take malaria tablets before you do that and you've got your diamox but um for me it was just kind of headaches and it makes you go to the toilet a lot um i started to take diamox before i actually went out there so i got used to it yeah um, and it just makes you makes you go to the toilet quite a bit and can make you feel a bit sick but um i think it definitely helped um but it's not the same for everybody no, no, absolutely. It's one of those questions, isn't it? Because I think, like you say, it's that question of do you use it? Do you not use it? When do you use it? Do you hit when the, the sickness kicks in? But I think if you're traveling, traveling and training for for an expedition, an expedition or an adventure, Kilimanjaro, Everest, or, or one of these other um, peaks at altitude, what you don't want to do is get there, not take the medicine, not, not take the diamox, and have a situation whereby you can't actually complete something that you've you set your heart on and, and you've trained for for so long from something that's as simple as taking some medicine that's designed to help you at altitude um yeah, so yeah absolutely yeah i agree and the the guides are you know they're the experts they're there for a reason they've done it so many times and they've seen different cases of people taking it not taking it yeah and they were great in terms of um every morning every evening you'd have a briefing so they take um your blood pressure um your heart rate and if those drop below a certain point then they would assess whether you could continue um, and then they'd always make sure you'd taken your Diamox every time. They would just always double check in. So yeah, they they were fantastic, and we we felt great being with them. Um, yeah, we felt set, um, you know, a safe pair of hands. Absolutely. So I noticed that when you came back, you'd you'd raised three thousand odd three thousand pounds for for the schools in in Africa. Yeah, uh, that's, that's right. Um, 
I think I'd, um, because I've, I've done quite a few boxing events. So I think I've uh, saturated my market in terms of fundraising. Because I was thinking, oh, I'm going to raise all this money. But obviously, especially with COVID, people, you know, looking at the finances a little bit more. And um, obviously a lot of money was going to the NHS, which was great. So fundraising was actually very, very difficult last year. But £3,000 to a charity like the, the Mara Rianda Trust, um, it's a huge amount. Um, so again, I'm the, the sort of person is like, right, great. You know, we've raised 3000, let's raise 4,000 and 5,000. But you have to look at it and think that is an incredible amount of money for, for a charity. And it'll go a long, long way. Yeah. How did you get involved with those, Rob? So that was, um, uh, so the Mara Rianda Trust is, um, a charity that looks after, um, a selection of schools in Kenya, um, close to the Maasai Mara. So, in the Maasai Mara, there's, um, there's certain hotels that support this charity and they support the local, local schools. And when I went to this school, um, it's one of those weird ones because you turn up and you obviously like, you, they've never seen you before and um, you might dress differently and you're, you know, you're someone new. And it made me laugh because we turned up at this school and if say somebody from another country came to one of our schools in England and just started walking around, you know, they'd be arrested straight away. Yeah. Whereas we, we turned up and, you know, we were shown around by the, you know, the headmaster and um, the headmaster showed us this list of um, priorities in terms of fundraising. So when they received money, this is what the money would go to. And number one was like a water system. And it's just little things like that, that you kind of take for granted. Yeah. And he told us that it only costs, um, 90 pounds to put a school through their education for a year which you know if you think about the money that you spent just flying to Kenya or staying in a hotel or you know the clothes that you're wearing it you know it really hit home in terms of um, how much of a difference we could make just with a you know a small a small amount of money and it is difficult because there's so many charities out there and there's so many schools like this you know throughout Africa and in other countries it's just it was one that was close to my heart because I'd actually been there and seen the children and um, they're amazing. You know, they, they sat us down and they sang songs for us and told us all about the, you know, the, the culture and the, the local area um, and things like it's only 400 pounds, but 20 girls at the school miss out on 25% of their education because of the lack of sanitary protection. And so what we did was we raised that 400 pounds straight away. So, so for the next year, the next school year, all the girls will get to go to school next year. And it's just little things like that. 400 pounds out of that, 3,000 will go to that. And then the rest will go towards um, improving the, the school itself and then the sponsorship of, of, uh, of children as well. Yeah. So will you, will you continue to fundraise for the, for the school, Rob, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, got some plans for, for this year, obviously COVID uh, depending. Um, but yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, it only costs £90 to, to sponsor a child and, you know, that gets them through for a year, gets them an education for the, for the year. And there's lots of other priorities. And what I thought was amazing about um, the, although this doesn't relate to, to Kenya, um, what the Kilimanjaro company did, uh, the, the, the tour group, is during the seasons where nobody was allowed to fly out because of COVID, um, they weren't getting paid. So obviously they weren't able to eat and um, they weren't able to pay the rent and, and that sort of stuff. So what they did was they, as a company, then um, created these, uh, 
or bought land so they could grow crops, so they could grow their own food, so they didn't need to spend the money on you know buying food from a, from a market, which I thought was incredible. And there's a great sense of community there, I think, from, yeah. from you know both sides. Uh, but yeah, definitely looking to to fundraise some more and and see what else we can kind of tick off on that list. Fantastic! Sounds really positive. Uh, are there any events that are planned, conc- concrete planned for this Nothing, year? Or? No, I'd love to. I'd Just love ideas. to be able to, to come on and uh, plug my next uh, my next challenge. Um, no, at the moment, just trying to get as literally as fit as possible. So if anything does come up, um, I'm not fighting off Christmas, you know, turkey. <laughs> um, yeah. Nothing concrete as yet. Um, just trying to figure out what will be possible um, by what date. Um, but I'm going to speak to the charity again and, and see what we can do. Uh, so if you've got any ideas, you know, or if anyone else wants to recommend anything, then I'm up for it. I like walking up high mountains, like boxing. I'll do anything, to be honest. Well, I will send you the link for the networking events um, yes. that we've got planned this year. As I mentioned pre- previously, we've got a couple of networking events that will be climbing hills and mountains. So you're welcome to join us on any of those. It's in partnership with Black Dog Outdoors. Just give them a, a shout out on the pod, of course. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm like yourself. I like to have goals and targets to work towards. But uh, I thought I'd take the opportunity to see if you wanted to plug any events that you've got coming up, up before we crack on. No, no, I'd, I'd love to. Um, it, I'm still pretty much planning at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've hung up my walking boots from, over the Christmas period anyway. But I'll, I'm sure I'll dust them off soon when when we can all go out again. Absolutely. So you mentioned there uh, America. So I understand that you studied in America for a period of time. So how how did how did you end up studying in in Connecticut? Yeah, um, the glory years, as I like to call them. Um, it start, I guess this starts, gosh, um, way back. And, you know, we're similar ages um, and we grew up on American TV. You know, nowadays it's YouTube videos, you know, that my nieces watch anyway. Um, but back then it was things like Saved by the Bell. And then when you start to get older, you know, you watch movies like American Pie. And I was just kind of always fascinated by American culture. Um, not gone so very well recently, but... Um, but yeah, back then, um, absolutely fascinated with it. And it was always this dream of mine to, to go and live out there. I almost felt like I should have been born there or I should have studied there. And um, once I got to university, I then had a choice, obviously, to, to choose what I wanted to, to study. Um, and I always wanted to work in advertising and, and marketing. I was always fascinated by TV ads. Um, and I studied this international business degree with the sole purpose because the second year um, offered um, a year in America. I ended up actually staying a little bit longer, but um, it offered you the, the chance to study over there. And um, I had a choice. The hardest thing was actually choosing the university because you got a choice between the, the kind of the East coast, you know, the, the Midwest and then the West coast as well. And then um, I chose Connecticut simply because um, you get all the, you know, in terms of the weather, you get the seasons, uh, the university was good, um, close to New York, which is, you know, it was always fun. Um, yeah. yeah. And then I was only 20, I was 20 years old when I went out there and, um, <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was a, it was a crazy experience. I, I, I can't believe I actually did it to be honest, you know, a 20 year old going to a country he's never been to on his own. Um, and when you get to the university, there's nobody there because the, the American students don't turn up for another week. So you kind of spend a week getting to know the campus and 
it's literally it's exactly like you see on TV or when what you saw in the movies, the massive campuses. Yeah. Um, you know, you got your house parties, your red cups, and all that sort of stuff. And it was just a wild time. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy time. And um, it was just when Zuckerberg had, had created Facebook. So with Facebook back then, you could only access it if you had an American university email address which i did obviously because i was there yeah and i remember getting there and i think i had myspace at the time this is showing my age now this is like 2006 your friend tom yeah he was yeah he's always number one friend tom yeah and i, I loved how you like changed your friends around you know like oh you move someone to the top of you met someone you know you moved them to the top or whatever you know and you could have i love myspace it was great you know you can have music on the background i loved yeah. it but yeah they were they said um oh are you on facebook and i was like what's Facebook? And they're like, oh, you've got to get on this Facebook. I was going to do my American accent, but I will. Go for it. <laughs> no. So then they said, oh, it's, you know, it's this platform where you can connect and you become friends. And it was more of a private network then. It was more of a club, I would say. Hmm. Um, and then I remember getting home and it was a year later, I think they made it, made it public. And then everybody started to join. I think you still had to be at university and then they made it public for anyone. And then it just became... I felt we all kind of felt like we'd had this kind of private club taken away from us because you'd, you'd be on campus or you go to a party or something and you'd meet someone and then they'd say, oh, you're on Facebook and then you get added. Not yeah. like now where it's like old relatives, you know, adding you and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, very interesting time. And then I quickly started just to notice in terms of obviously doing my degree in, in advertising and, and marketing, um, the opportunities that were there for businesses and they weren't really being utilized. And then once I got back to the UK and then I started to work in-house uh, in marketing departments, uh, that's when it really started to take off. And then there was the birth of, of Twitter. And obviously back then there was, there was no WhatsApp, there was no Instagram. Um, YouTube actually started as a, uh, as a dating site as well. So that was quite interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. And um, so apparently they, they started off as... Yeah, so it was this dating site, and then you would obviously upload your video to the site, and then you'd be like, hi, I'm Dave, whatever. <laughs> um, I like, you know, long walks on the beach and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then what they quickly realized was that people were actually just sharing pictures. You know, people were starting to joke around and share videos of their cats and stuff yeah. like that. Always um, cats, isn't it? Always, Why is it always yeah. cats? I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then they, then they obviously like pivoted, and they're like, oh, we're onto something here. So yeah. Um, that's where it started. There's some incredible stories about other uh, social networks uh, mm. similar. Yeah, no, it's interesting because it's funny you say MySpace because I don't know if you remember Bebo. Yes, yeah, I was on that as well. <laughs> Bring back Bebo. Yeah, Bring they were great. Bebo. They were, they were awesome. And then obviously Facebook came over and took over the world. But yeah. the, I, I suppose the latest thing now is, it, I've not got into it yet, but is um, TikTok. Yes. And I, just for the life of me, just don't understand what that's about. <laughs> that that probably is an age thing so my daughters aren't on it yet but friends daughters are and they're like eight nine and going oh and this does this and you go oh, I, I, I don't get it i'll be honest <laughs> but I, i've got to that stage when my dad when i used to look at my dad and go what do you mean you don't know it's an ipod it carries five thousand songs <laughs> yeah well, like your parents are told to get off facebook and then now that's all they do just you know absolutely sharing yeah, fake yeah. news and yeah like cat videos again um but yeah tiktok it, i think it it must come down to um, attention spans, how our attention spans um, are shortening. Um, yeah. Because obviously 
younger audiences are fascinated with you know short pieces of content and regularly kind of scrolling through feeds very quickly um i think it definitely has something to do with that uh, but yeah um again like many others have tried before and others are still trying to do um uh, basically yeah just very very short video content i love tiktok um obviously i get an excuse to be on it all the time because it's my job but um my nieces are like my guinea pigs so anytime that i see them i always ask them who's who's the most popular person on tiktok who are you watching right now on tiktok what's like the latest um trend on tiktok you know what and they they know better than anybody else and yeah. we're talking like nine years old 13 now um and they know absolutely everything um and we actually had a call um with tiktok uh late last year yeah and i told them and you are they didn't realize how boring the meeting was actually going to be but um i told them oh i've got a meeting with tiktok today and they're like no way and i was like do you want to come on it they were like freaking out they're just yeah so and they were telling they were telling tiktok who obviously owned this platform yeah. about things that were happening that they didn't even know wow which was fascinating because they're on it every single day yeah and it's just the same as when we were on you know facebook and what then instagram and yeah and it's funny when you watch um the Instagram reels, obviously they've tried to, to replicate what TikTok has done. And majority of people, I guess it's um, a time saver sort of thing. So they just save their TikTok videos and then upload them to, to Instagram. Um, yeah. But you can see that they're just TikToks. Yeah, yeah. It's quite funny. So for a period of time, you was Cool Uncle Rob, were you? I'm still Cool Uncle Rob, yeah. Always. Of yeah. course. What was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly wasn't. <laughs> So what? So in terms of media platforms, then obviously this is your day job, but you must have a favourite. Oh, it's got to be LinkedIn. LinkedIn, really? Yeah, I'm surprised. I no, I love it. So if mm, yeah, okay, yeah, definitely pin, uh, definitely LinkedIn. Uh, my second is, uh, which is totally underrated. I'm going to this a little bit, but uh, Pinterest, I would say, is so underrated. But for me, LinkedIn. Um, two reasons, um, maybe three. One is that. Obviously, my audience is out there, so people we want to work with. Um, the easiest way to engage with them is is through LinkedIn. So, obviously, when we're working with clients, we always recommend look where your audience is. You know, if you want to speak to certain people, look at the platforms they're using. And LinkedIn is great for you know, um, you know, bringing in new clients and and starting new campaigns. Um, I also like it because its algorithm algorithm is relatively kind of I wouldn't say primitive, but it's not caught up to the how advanced something like Facebook is or um, or Instagram. Um, mm. So there's opportunities there. Um, it's a lot easier to kind of how we say you know please the algorithm um, or you know some people say hack it or work around it. Um, it's a lot easier to get engagement I think on that platform. And um, I get to share memes as well, which is pretty cool, um, which I like to do yeah. <laughs> a lot of. Um, but yeah, I'd definitely say LinkedIn. Um, I know that's probably a controversial choice. And then secondly, Pinterest is a great platform for whatever you need. Um, and yeah, again, the great people to work with. So I'd say those two are my favorites. What about you? Actually, that's a good question. Oh God, that's Just a good question. Turn it back around. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I'd probably say LinkedIn as well, but that's from someone that doesn't really understand yeah. social media brilliantly, I guess. Similar to you, I, I do like to post GIFs and, 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 and memes on, on LinkedIn, but I find that, it's it's changing slightly. I think it, what used to be quite again. You mentioned Pinterest, a happy go lucky. LinkedIn 
went through kind of like a roller coaster this this up and down up and down where there seemed to be a movement at a certain period of time maybe 18 months ago where people suddenly started becoming linkedin police that started telling other people what they can't post and what they can post and this isn't facebook it's a professional network when actually now you start to realize that those posts that, that do generate most engagement tend to be those that are a little bit more human i think yeah. that's the finest way to put it but I then on, what... on the back of that you've got the, the people then that deliberately manipulate the algorithms to post things that are clearly clickbait make people respond to it click this like like this picture and see what happens <laughs> it's going to happen you're just clicking likes it's vanity vanity metrics isn't it um but yeah, LinkedIn for me, I think for similar reasons, I think it's a, a nice platform to be able to communicate well. I don't really, I've never really thought of Pinterest as a social media platform, but yeah, I've used it for garden ideas and things like that. Yeah. Twitter, I find really aggressive. Twitter is yeah. literally like, if you post something happy, somebody will tell you you're not happy. Yeah. And, and why, why you're not happy. You should, why you shouldn't be happy. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, and it just blows my mind that, that that people feel the need to kind of negatively bring people down, to be honest. I think there's a there was an interesting stat, and I want to say, I mean, this is going back a long time. Uh, say um, ten years ago, um, the, I think the most commonly used word in a Twitter bio was "love." So it was, um, "Hi, my name's Rob, and I love doing this." And it's changed massively since then. In terms of, it doesn't seem to be about that. It doesn't have that feel anymore. Um, it doesn't have that community spirit. It doesn't have that happy place. Um, yeah. You know if it. I, yeah, I'm I'm the same in terms of Twitter. Um, but I think with LinkedIn, um, it's if it, there, there was that. It makes me laugh when people say this isn't Facebook. It's still a social network, and people are still free to post kind of whatever they want uh, within you know reason. Um, yeah. And it is definitely becoming a little bit more informal. And I feel like when people do go on LinkedIn, because everyone's feeds are different, it's almost like a ref- it's almost refreshing when you see something that isn't just completely boring, you know, work related and a bit of fresh, you know, a breath of fresh air almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just to break up that kind of, that's the feedback I get anyway, it kind of just breaks up that monoton- you know, monotonous kind of feed. Um, yeah. And I think it, it's definitely changing. Uh, I think we'll see more of that kind of relaxed content over the next kind of 12 months, I would say. Um, yeah. Now, I think the other thing that I like to do with LinkedIn is I play a little game where, especially with contacts that you know when you start to see people posting things and you start to think but that's not you and and it's like this linkedin profile presence where people kind of say this is me on linkedin <laughs> and this is me in real life when you see me off offline um and and yeah you just start to think well can't you just kind of strip that back a little bit and just be honest and not have to put this pretense pretense up or this mask on that 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 you can't keep up longer term why can't you just be not happy but content mm. to just be real and, and just be who you are yeah absolutely but yeah that, that's just me being a little bit <laughs> weird i guess so so social media is um growing and, and be interested to kind of get your thoughts i know you mentioned about the american political position um not so long ago and obviously recently we've seen the news um certain platforms have banned certain individuals yeah I think it's um, probably too little, too late. Um, I think this probably things like that should have been done a lot sooner. And you know, platforms like Twitter, you know, there are you know there are others, and everyone has their own um, 
place to to make sure that the certain you know certain types of content don't go out. I feel like Twitter like it just hasn't done enough, and I feel like it has it is too little, too late. And it's it's a good you know it's a positive step, but it just seems to be a case of you know certain people in particular you know um, the less re- they'll be less relevant shortly. So you know we'll do it now uh, that sort yeah, of yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, very interesting. Um, I it's a, there was an interesting um, debate on Sky Sports News about um, abuse that, that people receive, in particular, you know, celebrities, um, celebrities, you know, footballers, athletes, um, and whether or not social networks should ask users to provide identification, um, which I don't think is a terrible thing. Mm. Obviously, you you probably if anyone's listening to this, or if I was, if I posted this on Facebook, it would you know it cause a storm because people are saying, oh, we don't want these big corporations having our identity. But think about all the corporations that do have your identity. You know, it's it's no different. Yeah, uh, think how many other companies have your information. Um, so there's definite steps that need to be taken, and I don't think at the moment they are doing enough um, yeah. to stop trolls and, and things like that. It, it makes me laugh, especially platforms like twitter i I feel like linkedin it's a little bit harder to kind of hide behind it we haven't really seen that yet there's a little bit of it but not that much whereas everything i see on twitter is there's always an avatar it's never the actual person you know their name there are you know their addresses aren't on there and you know that sort of thing so people are still kind of hiding behind that yeah i think it's you're right it's that faceless entity isn't it it's people that can kind of create this pseudonym that they can go on and and say maybe what they think and think that it's okay because it's not them that's speaking which is yeah. it's quite sad, really. Um, yeah. And also illegal in some cases, obviously. Yeah, which definitely. It's equally important. And it's, yeah, you're right. It's funny how many people think that I can't provide my ID, but yet I, I use my bank card and, and everything on multiple <laughs> other platforms from clicking through these platforms that they don't actually know who I am, where I'm, where I am, and what I'm actually up to. So, yeah, I, I think it would deter them quite a bit. It would. Uh, I think for obviously social networks, it's a, it's a barrier for people to sign up. So obviously they're naturally going to be um, adverse to it because the more bar- you know, the, the harder it is to sign up to an account, the, the less chance you're going to do it, and less chance you know people are going to do it. Um, but I definitely think it will something like that will start to come in. There's definitely going to be some you know more checks in the future and um, more responsibility from the networks in terms of content that's going out. Yeah. So what do you think the future holds for for social marketing and and for you, Bob? So good, good question. Um, it's, well, it's definitely going to continue. Um, I've always had this theory that there's always so many social networks that we've seen this clubhouse, you know, uh, phase at the moment uh, where everyone's kind of jumping on it. And I've seen so many of these things happen. Um, and it's very rare that um, they actually stick. There was actually a few social networks that came, that came and gone um, where they actually were really good and they, they kind of took the best of all the social networks got rid of all the bad stuff and it's like oh my god this is amazing and then nobody uses it or they get bought out by one of the big boys and that's what usually happens obviously um tiktok started as something else and there's a lot of money behind it and i feel like the bigger social networks are going to kind of take over everything and there's going to be almost like a, a monopoly of everything it's just very very difficult for for someone starting out to to create something new um so I feel like that. And 
Um, I feel like voice is definitely um, one to look out for in terms of, um, obviously, look, if you look at the Clubhouse example of it just being a social network for people talking, um, I feel like that is definitely going to be you know, a trend uh, going forward. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting to, to see. And for us, for Social Public, um, yeah, definitely growth. We've seen a lot over the last 12 months, had our best year. Um, growth overseas, um, we're launching a product called Vols, um, which will help people who maybe either, you know, kind of don't have the time to understand LinkedIn algorithms or um, they don't have the time to schedule content or they just don't get it, um, but they know that they want to be producing great pieces of content. So we're working on building a platform. We should be releasing that later this year. And it'll just kind of help people go on a step by, you know, a hand-holding exercise, I guess, a, a step-by-step journey in terms of how to create great pieces of content without having to understand, you know, complex algorithms or having to take the time to learn uh, particular techniques. Uh, people like so, me. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do great content, but most of the time it's a cat, cat gif or a picture of a dog right driving a car <laughs> wearing sunglasses. Well, you'll be able to schedule those uh, and it'll post natively as well, which helps, um, you know, kind of please that algorithm. So yeah, you'll be able to do all that. Um, so I'll have to get you signed up. Absolutely. So when, when, when are you hoping to launch that? Um, the, the first kind of phase is uh, looking at the next, in, probably in around about three months, uh, will be our first kind of test, closed test, um, as we kind of get people in, start to break it, uh, and fix those bugs, and then um, improve it, and then get some feedback on, on our features, and then maybe add some or take some away, and um, hopefully kind of a public, released in the next six months that sounds really exciting and it's really great to hear that you've managed to grow really well during during the pandemic there's a lot of bad news stories out there so it's really good to hear some good news stories and it's great to see good people good local people doing doing really well yeah thank you to what, what about outside of the social republic what does the future look like rob for me personally for you personally yeah Ooh, what's I, your plans I don't know. um again um it is funny because um, you, oh, you used to see this um, kind of cliche. Do you, the, do you remember like the January joiners? You know, after Christmas, gyms are always packed, aren't they? Because with January joiners, you know, they've got the new kit. They decided they've had, drank too much over Christmas, they've had too much turkey, blah, blah, blah. And I started my kind of um, fitness regime again just before Christmas. And I remember saying to people, you know, I'm not one of these January joiners. Like, just because I'm starting at the end of December or January, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm one of these people. It was just a coincidence that I did my climb. I had a bit of time off, and then um, I decided that I wanted to eat KFC a few more times and then and then get fit again. Um, so, yeah, um, just uh, doing that. And I want to uh, box again, but obviously with the world and everything else, then it's, it's pretty difficult to train and, and getting fights scheduled and, and stuff like that. So just staying as physically and mentally as fit as possible as, as it, you know, as I can um, over the next kind of six months and then um, hopefully taking on another challenge. Um, hopefully like this year, do some more fundraising. Um, yeah, grow obviously Social Republic as much as I can. Um, we'll launch Fulse as well, which will be exciting. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, um, I usually have lots of, lots and lots of plans, but it's very difficult at the moment to do that. Um, yeah. I'll have to come on again in like three months. And say, this is what I've done. This is where I'm going. Yeah. And these are my events. Let me plug these as much as I can. I would love to do every space camp. Uh, I'd love to do that with you. 
um, whenever we can. Um, Absolutely. That's, it's one of those, right, I did Kilimanjaro, right, what's next? And I was looking at ones in Argentina and Alaska and um, every space camp will be very cool. But it's yeah. just it's very difficult at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I'm, I think mine's being pushed back into 2022, but you're more than welcome to join us. Um, yeah, definitely. I think from, from my perspective, it's one of those when you, like you say, when you look at the tallest, tallest thing, the biggest places, it's where do you want to go? And well, Everest is Everest, isn't it? Yeah, let's be fair. Going to Nepal and, and going to the heart of Buddhism is, is what it's about for me, I think. And so, yeah, next year, I think that'll be the, the one. Let's get through this year and let things settle down and then next year go to there for sure. So, Rob, I've asked about the, the future and what the future holds for you personally, but I always end these these podcasts with a question about what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, here's a good question. Um, I always think back to that Matthew McConaughey uh, I think it was 2014. It might have been for Dallas Buyers Club. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, the Oscars um, acceptance speech. And he says, when people have asked him a similar question, um, they asked him, you know, who's your hero? And he always says himself in 10 years, which I think is amazing because he says, you ask yourself, who's your hero? And it's, you know, you're 25 and your hero is you in 10 years, so you're 35. And the reason you do it is because when you get to 35, you say, oh, you know, are you your own hero now? And have you achieved everything? You're like, no, no, I'll never reach that because my hero is myself in another 10 years. And it just it's con- it continually makes you want to kind of push yourself and, and be that person. But uh, knowing that you might not reach exactly everything that you want to do, but it keeps you kind of pushing. Um, I think it, if it had said that to my younger self, I probably wouldn't have believed, <laughs> probably wouldn't have believed yeah. myself, to be honest. <laughs> um <laughs> in hindsight i probably would have told myself to exactly that you know um you don't have to find a celebrity to, to have it as a hero or um uh, as someone to to be inspired by um it can just be yourself in 10 years uh, whether or i would have believed that i'm not sure but um probably tell myself that you know you kind of can do anything um it doesn't come naturally um there's, um, I don't know if you watch Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but there's quite a funny scene where uh, they create these vision boards and they're, they're mocking kind of the whole um, life coach um, scene. And um, they say, oh, what, why are you doing, you know, why are you do, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm just making a mood board because if I make a mood board, it will just come true. And I don't, you know, I don't have to do anything. It's just, I've created this mood board and then that's it. I've, I've achieved it. And um, it's kind of on the same lines, but um, you can yeah, achieve anything you want. You just really have to sacrifice a lot and, and put the effort in. Um, but I'd probably tell myself to have a bit more confidence, I guess, um, back then. I've learned over the year, over the last few years, but um, yeah, it'd be a very interesting conversation, that's for sure. Absolutely. So I normally ask whether you'd like to listen to the advice, but I think you kind of answered that as well, which is really, really stolen my thunder a little bit, to be fair. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for that. I would love to say that if I went back 10 years, 15 years, and would I listen to my advice? I'd love to say that I would, but I, no way. I'm too stubborn, too stubborn, uh, especially back then. Uh, yeah. And as men, I think we grow up a little bit slower uh, than everyone else, but I think we, yeah, we mature a little bit slower. Um, and generally, we think we're right, don't we? Let's be fair. Yeah. That, that's oh, yeah, the other side always. of it. <laughs> Why would I listen to you? I'm right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> What would you say to your, your younger self? 
do it. Just do, do it. it. Yeah. A, a Nick Knight yeah. slogan. Just do it. Because I, I think won't. I've put off that many things over the years that I then end up doing going, why didn't I start this earlier? It's like podcasts. I've <laughs> talked about podcasts for, I mentioned before, I talking about podcasts for a few years now, but I've, there's always been a reason why I've not done it. Yeah. Actually, it's easy it's to say no. Me. Yeah. It's so easy to say no than it is to actually do something. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I wanted to say just do it, <laughs> but I didn't. <laughs> um, I met somebody, um, how long ago was it? Around about 2011, who'd worked, was almost like a, not a double of me, but like someone who'd worked in the industry a lot longer than me, had done a lot of things that I wanted to do. So I kind of looked up to this person and I asked him, you know, we used to go to the football together and, um, you know, just chatting over a beer, you know, always trying to get like a little bit of career advice. I was like, quite a bit younger then. And um, I asked him something similar and he, he said he wished he'd started his business sooner. And it, it's incredible because I do as well. I wish I'd, you know, instead of starting it when I was 28, I wish I'd started it when I was 23. Yeah. Um, but hindsight's, you know, it's an incredible thing. You could always go back and say, oh, you know, you should do it sooner. But it, it's a strange world and it's changed so much that when I was 20 years old, if I'd have started my agency or started a business back then, I probably would have been laughed. You know, I probably would have been laughed at. And, you know, yeah. there was no 20-year-olds that were starting their own social media agency or, um, or starting their own business. It was just, it wasn't the done thing back then. And it's so weird. And the thing that you did back then was very traditional. You, you went to um, college and then you went to university and then you got a job. And then maybe you started your own business. It was very rare that you would set up, you know, you'd start your own company. There's no incubators or accelerators that we've got now, which are, you know, fantastic. Um, it just wasn't like that. Um, mm -hmm. So it would be easy to say, oh, yeah, I wish I'd started sooner. But if I hadn't worked for companies for eight years, I hadn't learned about the social media industry. Um, and bearing in mind, I did this all on my own, so I didn't have anyone else to kind of work with or, you know, I didn't have a co-founder. Um, if I didn't have those contacts, I probably wouldn't have been able to set up my business. So I don't think I could have done, done it any sooner, to be, to be fair, or it would have been a lot harder if I had. So. Yeah. Um, always interested in looking back. Yeah, hind as you say, hindsight is hindsight. a wonderful thing, but it, it it makes you who you are as well, doesn't it? I think um, the other thing I'd probably say to myself is is something that I started saying probably beginning of last year or the back end of 2019, which was you either make time or you make excuses. Yeah, you're either going to make time to do it or you can make an excuse not to do it. But don't talk about it if you either talk about it or don't. Just do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that, that's a nice way to wrap the show up, to be fair. Just do it. <laughs> Thanks, Nike. Thanks for yeah. that catchy slogan. It lives on forever. So make sure to check out our community where we help people to network, learn new skills and develop them and their business. Thanks to Rob. And thanks to you for listening to the Simply People podcast. Before we go, show some love for what we're doing by leaving us a review on your podcast platform or sharing the episode with a friend. Tune in for our next episode where we'll be speaking with another amazing guest. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Simply People Podcast.